and one of the guys goes, what do we do? And then he goes, what we always do, keep playing till the cops come. Hi everyone, my name is Olive, and surprisingly enough, I never got that into Glee fan fiction. Hi, I'm Eliza, and the Bad Romance Glee cover is actually the first Glee cover I ever listened to. Incredibly iconic, honestly. It was a good, it was a good first one, I will say. And this is genuinely, I think, one of the best episodes of season one. This is uh, theatricality. Definitely some good covers, not ones that are like, I feel like the Lady Gaga ones from this episode are more well-known, and people kind of forget that they also did Kiss songs. Yeah, I certainly did. Yeah, we will get into that. Uh, We open with one of, I think, my favorite scenes in all of Glee, where it is uh, Will and Tina in in Mr. Principal Principal Figgins' offices, where he has called them in because he is telling Tina that she cannot dress goth anymore. Uh, He he says that she can't dress goth anymore specifically because of Twilight. Yeah, because of the new vampire craze. They do a cutaway where it shows Lauren Zeiss, um, like attacking a guy in the hallway, biting his neck. It is Jacob Ben Israel. It is specifically oh, Jacob Ben Israel. Honestly, he deserves to to be bitten in the neck, not in a sexy way, just like actually stabbed in the neck. No, the thing that gets me is uh, she says that it's specifically because it'll get Robert Pattinson's attention, which no, it won't. <laughs> it genuinely won't. You live in Ohio. I promise you, in two thousand nine. Robert Pattinson has so many other things that he's doing. 2010 now, actually. Oh, that's right. We're in a different, we're in a different year. Didn't we see that? Yeah. On um, the couple calendars that Rachel gave Finn. Indeed. Also, where's Jesse this episode? He's just not here. Yeah. We'll get into that. Anyway, Principal Figgins has told Tina she can't dress goth anymore because it's vampire-y. Um, And he thinks vampires are, like, dangerous because of this incident with Lauren and, assumably, others. Uh, And Will and Tina are both like, uh, does Principal Figgins know that vampires are not real? I think that the funniest possible interpretation of Principal Figgins is that, like, he knows that everything is terrible and he's playing it entirely straight for the laughs. My favorite thing about Principal Figgins is that his first name is Principal. Yeah. So, anyway, um... Will tries to argue like, hey, it's just Tina's self-expression and, you know, we should let kids dress however they want. You know, Tina's not disturbing anyone. Uh, and Figgins is like, no, it's got to go. No more, no more goth, no more vampire in the school. Can't have that. Um, so that's kind of setting up the themes of the episode of like self-expression because now Tina's got to find a new style. We cut from there into Carol leading Finn down uh the stairs in in a mysterious house we don't know who's yet um and he goes is it a car and she goes no honey we're (laughs) indoors (laughs) and she reveals to him that bert has asked them to move in with him because the humbles have a bigger house yeah um they have a bigger house and so it's like a big welcome party in their basement kurt uh like has sparkling cider for them bedroom yeah, it's down in like the basement slash Kurt's bedroom. It's everything's like kind of set up the way Kurt had it before. Um, and Finn is obviously not happy with I- this idea because he's like, wow, you didn't even tell me that you were planning on moving us out of our house, which it was kind of hinted out the other. And he has a where, point. Yeah, it's definitely it's 
kind of rough. Like you would think that she would have talked to Finn about this. Also, like, I'm not sure exactly what the timeline is, but hasn't it only been like two or three months that Carol and Bert have been dating? Like, honestly, I would marry Bert Hummel after only two months, but like, practically speaking, it doesn't totally make sense. I mean, doesn't, doesn't Finn, no, not Finn, doesn't Kurt have a line that's like, you know, you know, older people move faster because they know what they want. Which, I mean, yeah, that's totally fair. Um, I'm willing but, I mean, to I'm willing to chalk this one up to logic and move on. Also, like, if Carol's just ready to move out of her house, she's ready to move out of her house. Period. Um, yeah. So, Finn is obviously super unhappy with this. Um, oh, you know what's weird too? Maybe I just watched too much HGTV with my mom. But in this huge ass house where Kurt's bedroom is one big basement. And Finn has to room with Kurt because it's the only other bedroom in the house besides the master bedroom for Carol and Bert. They have two and a half bathrooms. It's logic. Massive house where there's only one real bedroom, the master bedroom, and then a basement. They have two and a half bathrooms. Is that just their whole like upper level? Logic. Found it funny. Okay. So then. We are in the Glee Club, and Tina is wearing a gray hoodie and a pair of jeans. Honestly, um, icon. Which is Eliza culture. That is where what I wear. Yeah. And so they're they're talking about all of these different things that she could try. Some, Some of the, the styles they list are as follows: hood rat, computer programmer, and cross country skier. You know those classic. Brittany, styles. of course. Those classic styles. Um, Brittany also says that she could try chicken because you know why not Brittany so then Rachel bursts into a room because she doesn't know how to enter any other way and she says she was snooping around vocal adrenaline she found 13 boxes of Christmas lights in the dumpster which led her to a fabric store and they were all out of red lace and we know what this means apparently and what this means is that they are doing Lady Gaga so to be fair you know if you're really into like the fashion references of this it's pretty obvious honestly I don't necessarily know what the Christmas lights are for. I get the red lace because we see it later in the episode. It's the kind of like full lace outfits that Lady Gaga did at some, I think, VMAs performance or something. But I don't get the Christmas lights. It was the VMAs. Yeah, VMAs. Yeah. Quality investigative journalism here from the Sensations podcast. So obviously uh, the new directions are floored by this new information at first some of the guys are like oh so what lady gaga but kurt goes off and is like lady gaga is one of the most prolific pop artists of our entire generation and he says quote quote changes outfits faster than brit changes sexual partners and britney goes yeah (laughs) so obviously this is like super intimidating for the new directions because they know that vocal adrenaline taking on this like juggernaut of pop music is going to be like so intense to go up again I guess but Will gets an idea he's like this is perfect we'll do Gaga and we'll help Tina find a new style all at once because Gaga is all about self-expression um and that's actually a genuinely like among other episodes we've had this season I actually feel like this is a really good setup for an episode like a good theme. This is a really know? good setup for an episode. And I will also say this is a really good Will episode. Maybe it's because yeah. he's in it so little, but like Will Schuster, pretty okay teacher this episode. Yeah, like he's actually doing some teaching. 
Um, from there, we go, uh, we see Mercedes, Quinn, Rachel, they are sneaking back into vocal adrenaline uh, rehearsals. And Shelby is there. She's just running uh, some choreography with the kids or with the, the vocal adrenaline kids um, who are all in their red lace costumes, first of all. And it's like definitely implied that they cannot see. And Shelby kind of goes off on them because yeah. they're, not, they're not giving her what she wants. And she goes, theatricality isn't just about uh, fancy costumes. It's not enough to douse yourself with gasoline. Yeah, she's you talking like you're letting, the, you're letting the costumes sell it. Yeah. And so Shelby um, wants to make this point to all of the vocal adrenaline kids. And she just tells them all to like sit down and let her let her do her work. And she goes into the cover of Funny Girl from the musical Funny Girl. Rachel says that it's exactly what I would have done. Barbara Streisand. Um, yeah, Rachel, that's why nobody likes you. Um, yeah, she says, secondly, I can do it in my sleep. And it's like, okay, Rachel, we get it. The teachers insisting on performing during like practice time mm -hmm. makes me want to off myself like i when we were in our christian homeschool theater group like this the directors would like would sing sometimes but it was like teaching whereas like you're you're literally and they're all sitting here and the most ridiculous costumes you've ever seen on this show until we get later um, it's also implied that the kids can't see through their costumes so it's like they're not even really watching the performance that she's giving. I have to say, this is an extremely uh, milk toast performance. Okay, so here's the thing. I'll get into, like, you have not seen Funny Girl. It's probably clear through the lyrics of the song, but I just want to say it for our audience as well. This is uh, one of the last songs in the movie. And if you've heard the song Pretty Funny from Dogfight, it's very similar energy where the term funny, quote unquote, is almost kind of bittersweet because the character, uh, Fanny Bryce, has like been called a funny girl all her life, uh, but she's never been like the pretty girl or the beautiful girl or the lovely girl who all the guys want, right? And so the fact that the guy called her a funny girl and like that really meant something and that he was really in love with her is like this beautiful deep thing. So you're 100% correct. This is a milk toast performance it's it's fine i do think it has theatricality to it, it is giving bran cereal it is dramatic there's definitely like drama and she sings it well but there's something about like singing it outside of the context of the show that just like takes away all the emotion from it you know yeah where it's like she's she just where she just decided to sing this because she wants to sing it and like there's not like weight to it at all. It's it's good. So since Rachel, since Jesse in the last, I think it was the last. I cannot keep yeah. track. Since Jesse made her listen to that little, you know, two daughter from mother, and she now knows what her her mother's voice sounds like. Rachel is like, oh my god. She puts two and two together. Shelby's her mom, and she she literally walks like down the aisle in the theater, and she goes. Hi, my name is Rachel Berry. It's like, she knows who you are. This, honestly, Rachel walking down the stairs, like, slowly, and then saying, Hi, I'm Rachel Berry, I'm your daughter, is more theatrical than the entire Funny Girl performance. I agree. I concur. So, we cut to Rachel and, and Shelby sitting, like, awkwardly far apart. Can I say real quick, 
imagine being one of the vocal adrenaline kids watching that happen. Your director has told you to stop rehearsing, go sit in the audience while I sing a solo. And then this girl you've never met before comes down the aisle and goes, hi, I'm your daughter. And I guess Shelby just sends them all away. Cause yeah, they're like, now they're just, we cut to Shelby and Rachel just like sitting in the audience chairs, super far apart from each other. It's and they definitely... have this discussion that's yeah, like, it's sad. like it's like, sad, but I don't know. It, it, it's hard for me to feel bad for Shelby here in some way. Yeah. Because like, this was her whole idea was to be like, because up until like Jesse, you know, started pushing the matter, Rachel had shown absolutely no interest in finding out who her mom was. Right. And then, you know, like the issue gets pushed and pushed and pushed and pushed and pushed because it's something that Shelby wants, you know, like she says later on in the episode, like I wanted my baby is like, which is a whole other scene we'll get into, but yeah. like, so Shelby's the one pushing the issue. And then Rachel is just like, can we have dinner or something? Cause we're both in shop, but like, can we just have dinner? And Shelby's like, I shouldn't have done this. I'll call you. And then walks yeah, away. She just leaves. And like, she just it, leaves. It's so bittersweet. And I, I feel bad for both of them in this case, but I definitely she feel just worse fucking for leaves. Rachel. Like, first of all, Shelby has essentially like forced her into this kind of, I don't want to say confrontation, but that's the best word to describe it. Like, this di- kind of direct confrontation of the matter between them when like up until recently Rachel had never expressed interest in meeting her mother until Jesse asked about it right and it might be this scene or maybe yeah. it's the later scene Shelby says something like oh I always imagined us like seeing each other from across the room and then slow motion running into each other's arms and this just isn't it and yeah I think she says like oh I wanted my baby or I wanted to have like my little girl who I could raise and it's like guess fucking what Shelby she's 16 you can't just like show up in her life after all these years and be like now we're mother and daughter also like it it's a complicated relationship with like uh, adopted children right and they're like parents who have raised them their whole life and then their biological parents right and that's a unique relationship to any uh, adopted children but specifically in this situation it's like Shelby you don't know Rachel at all this is weird exactly rachel also has a line here that i um as someone who takes care of children find hilarious which is like i'm thirsty but she says that it's because her dad's whenever she would cry as a kid would bring her a glass of water so now she's never sure if she's sad or thirsty and i will say i am guilty of doing the exact same thing because you can't you can't cry while you're drinking water so it's like here have a glass of water you feel a bit a little bit better Especially because oftentimes kids will cry kind of just because they feel like they should. Right. And not really because they, like, want to. So after that scene, uh, you know, juxtapositioning, you know, Shelby and Quinn already, because this is something that's going to happen, like, literally two episodes from now. So we have Quinn and Puck talking. Again, just middle of the hallway where Mm -hmm. anyone can hear them. There's a small scene before that, actually, where... um. Finn is talking to Will in his office where he's just saying like the guys don't want to do Lady Gaga and Will's like um you have to like it's only fair um but Finn's like no we did Madonna week so like the guy the guys want to do something guy related and I don't think they say kiss right now but they say like okay we'll find a no. guy for you that's like theatrical and then the the Quinn yeah. Puck scene where he says he wants to name their daughter 
Jack Daniels. And he, and when, when Quinn goes, you want to name our daughter Jack Daniels? And he goes, okay, fine. Jackie Daniels. She literally says, you know, this is why I'm giving up the baby. So I don't have to do this with you, which yes. Good. Yeah. You are correct in this decision. Well, and you know what? I think this is a great scene for Quinn because I think it's really showing us her struggle of like really not wanting to get attached to this baby at all because she knows she wants to give it away. And so she's like, no, I'm not naming it. And it's super insensitive of you to like be coming up with names when this is not something that is happening. Like, don't even think about it. Yep. Yep, 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 yep. So then we have Quintina walking full on Gaga looks. So Chris Colfer in this episode, just strutting around in those heels that I'm a person who regularly wears heels. I would break my fucking ankle in. It's because they're not normal heels. They're these weird, like, bubble-shaped, like, dome shoes. And they're, like, super high platforms. He's way taller than usual. Tina is in the uh, bubble dress. And she's got, like, a little short white wig on. They look immaculate. They look Im- Im- they look incredible. They look amazing. And what happens? But and so and Azimio coming Karofsky. down the hall. Karofsky. Push them into the lockers. And Kurt immediately fires back. He says, were you dropped on your heads? I actually kind of love Kurt in this scene. This is a rough Kurt episode. Not as bad as some previous episodes or even some future episodes. But this is a a rough one as a Kurt stan. Basically, not this scene though. This scene is great. This scene, he says basically like, okay, listen, I'm used to you beating me up, but don't hit a girl, which is like a little bit sexist, but like. Like Tina hasn't done anything to you guys, you know? Yeah. And they're like, you know, you can. Oh, I, I I thought I knew like the way the scene actually goes, but basically Azimio says like you're not minding your business, you're making me look at it, and so maybe I'll have to introduce my fist to your jaw or something. And they start walking away, and Kurt goes, "Yeah, you don't want to miss your appointment. It's super cuts." <laughs> so iconic, so sassy. Love him. And Karofsky shoots back, "You don't need an appointment. It's super cuts. They love walk-ins." Which <laughs> I know one of my deepest flaws as a human being is that I love Karofsky. Not yet. He's a bully and a dick. But later on, I kind of love him. We all have our flaws. So moving on from that scene, they are all sitting in the choir room. We also see the other Gaga looks that the girls are sporting. And they all look incredible. Uh, I am personally a fan of Britney's outfit just because of the glasses. Britney's is iconic. So Britney is wearing the lobster look. She's got these kind of like uh, drop crotch pants uh, and like a little silver blazer. But then like the main piece are these big lobster glasses, headpiece thing. We're not going to wonder why or how these teenagers got the resources to make these Gaga cosplays. We're just not going to think about it. Um, Mercedes is in this. I think um, it is all Kurt Hummel and his power. Oh, true, true. And Mercedes. Not knocking Mercedes. And Mercedes, yeah. He is in uh, this little silver dress with, like, kind of a hula hoop waist win. Is um, wearing essentially a hot air balloon. Yeah. She's also got this weird, like, spiky ball prop that looks like a little sea anemone. Kurt is doing the Alexander McQueen that we already mentioned. Tina's in the bubble dress. Oh, and Santana's in the uh, black lace bodysuit with, like, a big rose headpiece. Iconic. And yeah. so they're like, yeah, Rachel's 
not here. She found out that, you know, Shelby, the teacher of vocal adrenaline, is her mom. Uh, and Rachel walks in wearing a dress that is made out of uh, essentially Beanie Babies going for Lady Gaga's Kermit the Frog look, which I had to Google. And oh, my goodness. Um, I love it. She, she no, That wasn't a bad oh, my goodness. That was just an oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. Uh, that woman does so much all the time. I love it. Um, mm-hmm. And they go immediately from that into the performance of Bad Romance. Yeah, they like they like announce to everyone like the leader of vocal adrenaline is Rachel's mom. Anyway, time to do a song because it's been too many minutes without a song in showtime. Not upset by it though, because it gets us into bad romance faster, honestly. Which is, oh, it's such a good performance. Immaculate. It's so good. Choreography. The dance, all of it. I love this song for a lot of reasons. Um, Reason, this is in no particular order. One of the reasons I love this song is because for most of the verses and the chorus, especially the chorus, Kurt is carrying this song. It's really interesting. They, you're absolutely right. He's kind of got like, not heavy solo lines, but enough backing that you can tell he's like very much supporting the girls. And everyone gets their own little solo line. Very little Rachel on this song. Gotta give it love props to for see that. it. <laughs> love to see it. Opens with Mercedes, we get some fantastic Santana lines. And it's like, you can always tell when the actors were having fun, you know? I think that this performance could have uh, won them regionals. I also think Shout It Out Loud later in the episode could have won them regionals. They could have done both. So, Um, here's my last comment on this song. mm -hmm. Um, You aren't born gay. You watch the Glee's performance of Bad Romance, and you see Santana do the bridge. And that makes you gay. Yeah, just the ever so slight growl on Naya Rivera's voice turns you gay. I will say this is also maybe just like a small petty thing. The way Rachel is just like ignored this number. Iconic. I love it. I think it's amazing. Coming from a renowned Rachel stan, I love how she gets like nothing to do. And it's like very clear that Leah Michelle is not rocking the dance as hard as everyone else is rocking the dance moves. Kind of love it. That's more my Leah Michelle hate than my Rachel Berry love. I feel like this is just like a conspiracy theory and I have no way to prove it, but I feel like maybe they spent like the same amount of time on the, the choreography with like everyone in the cast and then everyone but Leah got together and was like, so we're going to practice this so we can be better than Leah, <laughs> right? Oh, yes, I would love to believe that. So we go from there. We cut into the boys' bathroom, assumably, uh, where Finn is, he's like drawing on his face with eyeliner. And Karofsky and Azimio burst in. They start harassing Finn about putting on makeup and... uh, And moving in with Kurt. Azimio has what I think is one of the most iconic lines, which is, you know, being a jock and being in Glee Club doesn't make you versatile. It just makes you bisexual. It's canon, folks. It's canon. I know Azimio is kidding. He's not kidding to me. To me, it's canon. Azimio knew before Finn knew. Azimio Loki kind of has some like really iconic lines. Like obviously he's a minor character. Kind of love him. I mean, obviously he's a bad guy, but like kind of love, kind of love him. Yeah. As a character, like you can think that someone's a bad person, but a good character. Right. He's fun. We yeah. go from there. And you can tell that the actor is like having a good time playing him also. Like there's just a certain like verve with the way he delivers all of his lines. Exactly. It's fun to play a villain. 
Anyway, we go from there into the scene that makes me question the timeline of this episode. Okay? This drives me insane. So we just saw Finn applying his, assumably, the, the makeup for their kiss performance. We cut into Rachel back at the vocal adrenaline rehearsal, assumably the next day, right? Everyone's still in the red lace costumes, but we've at least assumed that this is another school day. In this scene, um, Rachel has come to see her mom again, obviously. She's wearing this big like plaid overcoat. And when she takes it off, her mom sees this awful stuffed animal costume that she's wearing. We didn't mention it earlier, but Ra- he, she says that it's stapled on because neither of her dads know how to sew. Does Rachel not know how to sew? And more importantly, it's 2010. Look it up. What about a glue gun? Literally, just like ask Kurt. Literally. Anyway. anyway, in within, within I guess, maybe like the 30 minutes it takes for Rachel to drive from McKinley to uh, Carmel High, she is back at McKinley now in a completely new costume that she says that Shelby made for her. Don't know where Shelby got this. Don't know. She says she made it. How is Shelby good at making costumes? I don't like this show sometimes. So Rachel is now back at McKinley in time to join everyone in the auditorium where the boys, like the curtain doesn't drop or anything. They just do like hit it. And um, where to start? I love this number. Just where to start. Like, I'm not saying that in a bad way. I think it's a great number. I think it's a great take. I just like where to start with this. It reminds me where of, to start. Reminds me of the Halloween episode of What's New Scooby-Doo, where Kiss guest stars. Oh my god. <laughs> um, so the boys um, are doing shout it out. It's loud. a really good performance. Fantastic, honestly. Um, it's like Finn and Puck leave. There's like a little bit of Artie in there. Would have loved to see more Mike and Matt on this on this performance. Because it seems like they're not like super doing anything in the back. They're doing all of the dancing. What they're doing mostly is um, moving Artie around because he's playing guitar so he can't pilot his wheelchair. Right. Um, so one assumes that that's their main thing. At one point they like do jump splits off the stage. Which I guess they can do. Harry Shum Jr. in this outfit hot hot all the time because agree agree because that's just harry what he Shum, looks like this is a hot take harry shim jr is the hottest guy in the glee club agree honestly i will say it is implied that mike and matt are doing the backing vocals on this because obviously they can't dance that much to a kiss song they're all also wearing horrible long wigs that look very fake and yet still better than the wigs they wore for the hair number so that's I not guess- hard they got a, a budget increase, I guess. So yes, the number ends and we finally get the first Matt line in the entire season. Uh, they're doing like a description of each each of the rock stars that they are inspired by. Honestly, I don't know the names of the members of KISS, but- uh, Me neither. Finn's, uh, Finn is Gene Simmons. Uh, Puck is the one with the really long tongue and Artie's on guitar. So he's whoever the guitarist is. And then Matt is the cat guy. And (laughs) Matt's first line is, yeah, I'm dressed as the guy who replaced Artie when he quit. So, you know, we'll take it. We'll take it. We'll take it. After that. Oh, they run into the football players again. 
Yeah, it's just like a little cutaway scene again. Um, it's just another like they shove him. Just yeah. to, you know, remind us all that like, oh, this is a thing that happens. Kurt gets bullied. Um, and then they're in the basement. Presumably, Kurt- the bullies have like picked away at Kurt's costume some because we see him like starting to repair the shoe. Yeah. I am going to be honest, most of the dialogue in this scene I have blocked out of my brain. Yes, I literally watched this like two hours ago, but it's... It's, it's hard. Vacated. It's rough. It's a rough episode. Basically, um, Finn is asking Kurt, you know, like, why why don't you try harder to fit in? And Kurt's being like, why the fuck would I do that? And Kurt, and Finn says, you know, like... They're saying that, like, you know, stuff about you and me, like, I'm your boyfriend or whatever. And Kurt's like, let them say whatever they want. Because Kurt Hummel's like, yeah, people are going to talk. Who cares? Honestly, like, here's the thing. I guess I'll maybe talk. No, I'll talk about it now. I kind of get both of their perspectives here, right? Oh, absolutely. Finn obviously has no experience as a gay man, right? Finn has never really understood what Kurt goes through as far as like, quote unquote, being yourself. There are moments of the show where Finn has like empowerment, right? But he never really has to confront like a part of himself that he feels ashamed of or is shamed by other people for, right? So from Finn's Finn's perspective, obviously he's frustrated at the entire environment he's in right now where like suddenly he's being forced to live with Kurt, which um, I guess like Finn doesn't, Finn does know that Kurt kind of has a crush on him a little. So like, he's obviously super uncomfortable. And like, if Finn was a better communicator, then he'd probably be better at getting his ideas across right now. But guess what? He's a 16 year old boy. But then I also very much get Kurt's side of the argument where he's like, well, they're just nobodies to me. And like, one day I'm going to be rich and famous and they're going to be pumping my gas. So like, why do I even care? But also, he's not really doing anything to, like, stop Finn from getting bullied or, like, stop Finn from having rumors spread about him. Granted, the rumors are homophobic. And so, like, you know, it's not a bad thing, you know, if we're implied to be dating Finn. Like, that's just homophobic. But also, I do think Kurt has some selfish-ish motives here by being like, oh, well, let them say what they want. Because obviously Kurt doesn't mind rumors about him and Finn being a couple. It's Finn who minds it. Yeah. And so F- Kurt teaches, is like walks over and tries to teach Finn something that I have taught uncountable numbers of high school boys, which is don't just rub it your makeup with a tissue. Mm-hmm. Grab a makeup wipe. That's what they're for. Like this scene is sad and a little upsetting, but just it's the little things that stick in my brain. And Kurt. Chris Colfer's delivery of the line, it's just a moist towelette. It's so it's, good. He just what says a, it so much. And I think Finn like storms off because obviously, God forbid, his like soon-to-be stepbrother try to teach him something. But it's because he's uncomfortable with Kurt being close to his face. Yeah. So yeah. We go from there, and there's a little meeting with uh Shelby and Will in his office. And actually, this was mentioned in the earlier scene when um, when they found out that uh, Rachel was Shelby's daughter. But there, there's been some rumors, I guess, that 
now that Rachel has found out this information that she's going to defect to vocal adrenaline. So they're kind of worried that like, yeah, that the vocal adrenaline is like kind of trying to steal Rachel and Shelby reassures them like, no, no, like we're not trying to steal Rachel. Like I just was thinking that I wanted to have a relationship with my daughter. And as before mentioned, this is actually kind of a nice will moment where he kind of forces Shelby to really think about like whether she's doing this for Rachel or for herself where he's like yeah he's like why are you doing this now and she tells him that like she can't have any more kids right um, which they don't really ever explain if she's just kind of having a, a a conversation with a near stranger you know right I will I will let this one be waved away the the scene kind of ends it's it's again rough to watch but a goodwill moment where he's like hey you need to respect Rachel's boundaries and also like not just be forcing her into a relationship or in or forcing her into what you imagine your relationship to be rather than like being there for her because she's the child in this situation Shelby yeah Shelby also says that Rachel is an adult she's not an adult she's 16 she's almost an adult yeah like you can also, I say again, I say again, Shelby, you're not allowed to contact her until she's 18. She's 16. At this point, it's probably not even two years. It's probably like 18 months. Can right. not wait 18 months? I don't even know, man. I, I just, I, I really don't like Shelby as a character. <laughs> I think yeah. you can tell. At this point, I do think she has some sympathetic qualities, but definitely as we go forward in season two, it's like, ew, no. From there, we go into the worst slash best scene of this episode it's this scene is the most heartbreaking scene of this episode we see uh kurt bringing finn down the stairs uh to like the basement of the house and it's all dark kurt says you know i had to skip school to finish this but i think you're gonna like it and he turns also i want to say very very quickly um very quickly kurt's outfit in this scene Oh, the waistcoat? Okay. The little, the little steam, the steampunk little vest kills Same me. Shit, which he probably um, made himself. He turns so on the light he's... and it is completely redecorated. No more like minimalist white walls. It's this kind of like almost Bollywood inspired, like very kind of warm toned curtains everywhere. There's a room divider, which comes up and like, there's not really a bed so much as like several lounge chairs and lots and lots of pillows everywhere and kurt says that it is a peace offering uh after the argument and finn is immediately super uncomfortable he says uh are you freaking insane and i can't live here i'm a dude okay what did kurt think Finn's reaction to this was going to be. I beg to know. I don't. I don't Granted, know. You know, Kurt is also a 16-year-old boy who makes mistakes, but like genuinely, did you think Finn was gonna be like, oh my God, yes, Kurt, I would love to share a room with you, inspired by this uh, uh, some Marlena Dietrich movie that Finn has probably never seen. Or and, even heard of. And like I think Finn says something like, we have no privacy, or I have no privacy. And Kurt's like, well, there's a room divider. And the room divider is like wooden. And it's the one, it has like decorative 
shapes and holes in it basically so like not even much of a only on the divider. top part no only on the top part and like here's um, where we get to like it's it's really hard to decide with either of them in this situation because Finn well, is it's obviously easy to slide it's easier to uh decide with the one who's not saying slurs but i understand what you mean we haven't we haven't gotten there yet my my thing is like you know it's difficult because finn is going off he's like I'm uncomfortable in front of you. I'm uncomfortable getting dressed in the same room as you. And like, that's obviously coming from a place of homophobia. Just the implication that like any gay man is automatically like predatory or any gay guy is automatically attracted to like every man he sees. Right. But then also like, yeah, Finn does have, Kurt has been being weird to him. Yeah. Finn does have reason to suspect, suspect that Kurt would get weird if, they were changing in the same room as each other but then also like they've been on glee club they've probably changed costumes in like a dressing room before you know they literally shared a locker room when well when kurt was on when kurt was on the the football team yeah and so it's like finn definitely has reason to i think like be upset about kurt for like causing so many change in changes in his life and like making him uncomfortable but he says like you know how I, how uncomfortable I am with all this stuff. And Kurt goes, what stuff are you referring to? And Finn goes, you know what I'm talking about. Uh, and I'm not going to say the F slur, but he, he calls uh, one of their blankets and the curtains and the lamp the F slur. Kurt says, if you don't like it, we can just redecorate. And Finn says, well, the first thing to go is going to be that slur lamp and that slur blanket and Bert comes downstairs and goes hey what did you just call I literally have the quotation up right now it's so good um it's so good by no means do I really ever want to hear a man yell in my life but there's something about the tone of Bert's voice as he comes down the stairs and he goes hey and he's just like big protective bear moment protective dad moment mm-hmm. And it is just, it gets you right into the, we were already in the emotion of the scene, but the emotion was like anger or discomfort. Like you, now the emotion for is For that, like, you were a little bit, up until, up until Bert comes in, it's a little bit like, oh, really? This is happening? And then Bert comes down and you're like, oh, shit. Right. And it is important. This is, I think, one of my favorite monologues of all time. Any theater I people agree. out there? I agree. Theater people, this is a fantastic monologue. So Bert says, hey, what did you just call him? And Finn goes, oh no, I didn't call him anything. I was talking to the blanket. And Bert says, you use that word, you're talking about him. And Kurt says, relax, dad, I didn't take it that way. And Bert said, yeah, that's because you're 16 and you still believe the best in people. You live a few years, you start seeing the hate in people's hearts, even the best people. You use the N word? And Finn goes, of course not. And then Bert says, how about, and then the R slur, which, people just said so often on television in 2010 um you call that nice girl on the cheerios with kurt you call her the arsler and finn goes becky no she's my friend she's got down syndrome i'd never call her that that's cruel and bert says but you think it's okay to come into my house and say the f slur and finn goes but that's not what i meant and bert goes i know what you meant what you think i didn't use that word when i was your age you know some kid gets clocked in practice we tell him to stop being such an f slur shake it off we meant it exactly the way you meant it that being gay is wrong that's that it's some kind of punishable offense i really thought you were different finn you know i thought that you you being 
in glee club and being raised by your mom meant that you were some you know new generation of dude who saw things differently who just kind of you know came into the world knowing what it's taken me years of struggling to figure out i guess i was wrong i'm sorry finn but you can't you can't stay here and kirk goes dad and burke goes i love your mom and maybe this is going to cost me her but my family comes first i can't have that kind of poison around this is our home, Kurt. He is my son. Out in the world, you do what you want. Not under my roof. You know, at concerts, when people hold up a lighter and they just like sway back and forth to the music, that's me to this monologue. It's just, it's beautiful. And it's really, I don't want to praise Glee too much because there are some deep, deep problems with this show. But this is, I think, exactly the kind of writing that was needed in 2010 that was like so deeply confrontational to these ideas of uh homosexuality or uh, to an extent racism and or transgenderism um not that glee handles those issues very well but like there's just something so powerful about the the writers of the show confronting this directly of like finn confronting the character of Finn, right? Who is our protagonist. Who's our main character, essentially. Is the show's main character. And to have Bert go, no, you are just as homophobic as any of the guys on the football team if you say words like that. What I would call this is probably more like normalized homophobia. Like this is the sort of thing where it's like, yeah, you kind of know that like it's bad, but you can get away with it. And like the the... The vibe is very much Finn thinks that he's just going to get away with this. Right. And, and it's Bert like, comes yeah. directly downstairs and goes, no. Not in my house. You're not going to get away from with from it. Yeah. And I, I will say, I do think him, I don't know. I do think him kicking Finn out of the house is a little much, but also I respect it. Because I'ma be honest, I might cut this out of the episode. I there have been times in my life where things have happened and I have wondered why no one was there to protect me, right? I, I'll keep this in because I, I think this is good to say. And I'm being vague about this yeah. to keep it relatable to hopefully like the the listeners to this podcast. Where, where I wonder like why was no one there to protect me? Or why did no one do enough to protect me? And so part of me, you know, is sympathetic to Finn, the 16 year old who, you know, makes mistakes, but also like, I respect Bert so much for just going like, no, I will not accept that in my house. Hard. No, it's not happening here. Get out. And it's hard to watch. Yeah. It's hard to watch because, you know, Finn is our main character and we'd like to believe that he doesn't do anything wrong ever, but no, homophobia is deeply normalized in society at the time of this airing, and it was perfectly normal to hear the F slur and the R slur. Still now, yeah, it's still now too, but more so back in 2010 too, especially on television, especially on yeah. primetime te- television. Moving on a little bit, you know, this the scene kind of comes to a close. Kurt's like hugging himself and like tearing up like very obviously trying not to cry and you know finn storms out and burt goes to walk away and he just puts his hand 
on Kurt's shoulder. And mm-hmm. just like we know that Bert Hummel is not like an overly emotional, affectionate man. And he's like very obviously really like pissed off. So like he's he doesn't hug Kurt, but he has. And I think this is another one of those moments where it's like it's the little moments in the acting that can get you. Mm-hmm. Because like I my heart broke at just the way that Bert was clutching his shoulder and the way that Kurt's hand came up to grab it and keep it there. Like I just Yeah. The point of contact, the grounding, like you can tell both of them need that grounding moment, both as characters like in the narrative and also like as human beings. Yeah. I can't imagine what it was like filming that scene. It would just be interesting. I can't. I can't yeah. imagine. Uh so we go into the choir room. Everybody's still wearing their Lady Gaga outfits, so I guess, like, that's the only thing they wore for, like, a week? Yeah, Um, who washed these costumes? um, I guess they, like, went to class in these costumes? Who knows? Um, but Finn is like, I want to talk about this, like, trying to talk to, trying to talk to Kurt, and Kurt goes, there's nothing to talk about. I thought you were different. You're not. And Finn goes, I am different. It's like, "Mm." No. Or, like, Mm. you know what? You're different. No, I don't. No he's different in some ways you know like where he he tries to be a better person or he tries not to be homophobic but also at the end of the day if you're not going to directly analyze the homophobia that is ingrained in your mind then you are just like everybody else because these deep societal issues the same as you know racism deeply ingrained in our society if you don't confront them directly in yourself you're no better than the people who uh, go along complicit with it. If you are not, I don't know, I can't remember how the quote goes, but like, if you are not actively against something bad, then you are complicit with something bad. Then you are in support of something bad, you know? It has to do with like the the choice Um, in yourself. Exactly. Uh, Uh, And then Puck comes in and, and says that he's got something else he wants to tell Quinn. And he talks about like, you know, my dad was never around and it's like, yeah, okay. Um, he says that Jackie Daniels isn't a good name for a baby. And he brings up the rest of the guys who did, uh, the Kiss song with him. And they start singing Beth by Kiss. Which is genuinely, I love this song and I love this cover. I feel, I don't like listening to it because it's sung by Mark Salling. Yep. Um, this is like, it's genuinely a good cover. There's like a little bit of a Finn solo in there as well. It's mostly Puck, but Finn gets a line. And so it's this really beautiful moment, like the three of them share. But also I physically cannot listen to it. Just because like, I don't want to watch him on my screen for that long. You know, it's a difficult moment as a Glee watcher where you like want to separate the character from the actor. Because it is kind of a nice Puck moment where he's kind of accepting that... Puck is accepting that, like, maybe I never will, like, raise this baby, but I want you to know I'm here for you. And at the end, he requests that they name their daughter Beth, inspired by the song. And I think he and Quinn hug. Um, And so he asks if he can be there for the birth, and she says that he can. Yes, which is lovely. It's a nice shared moment, but it's just, like, tainted, of course, from, like, our current knowledge. Yeah. So, so we go from that scene again, uh, mirroring, you know, Quinn and Shelby and we have Rachel standing at a piano, Shelby coming up. I have multiple things to say. First of all, Shelby asks, how did your dads choose the name Rachel? And Rachel says, well, they were big friends fans. 
Well, doing some of the math, Friends had only been on for like a season and a half at the time of Rachel's birth, which means that her dads were so into the first season of Friends that they were like, we're naming our daughter after this character. <laughs> Second of all, Shelby gives Rachel a gift. Um, I guess because they kind of talk about how like they need some distance from each other and like their relationship isn't really becoming what either of them had wanted. So it might be good to just take some space for a while. And Shelby gives Rachel a gift of the ugliest effing cup I have ever seen in my entire life. It's this plastic clear goblet with like little gold Mardi Gras beads around the top and a star on it. And it's supposed to be this sweet thing where Shelby's like, oh, gold stars are kind of my thing. And then Rachel's like, oh my God, gold stars are my thing too. But it's so fucking ugly. I can't even get past that. It's so ugly. I would literally, I would not to be like rude, but if I got that as a gift, I, it would either go straight in the trash or it would get shoved in the back of the cabinet and I would never use it. You can't dishwash that thing. I would, you can't. That thing is going straight to Goodwill for me. Goodwill, yeah. Goodwill, or depending on what type of time of year it is, if I get this in November, you know what I'm doing? It's going to be a white elephant gift next month. Yes, this would be a fantastic gag white elephant gift. Shelby, I think, like, pulls out sheet music, because I guess she's, like, arranged her own freaking sheet music for this number they are about to do, which is a slowed down, almost unrecognizable version of Lady Gaga's poker face. And it's... They don't even add enough harmonies for it to be interesting. Yeah, I would have liked more harmonies. Honestly, similar to what Gigi said about I Dreamed a Dream last episode, it kind of sounds like their voices are like fighting. You it's know, just when a bad performance. Like, so here's the thing. Again, this was on the Showstoppers album that I listened to a lot growing up. So I have kind of like pleasant memories of singing along to it in the car. But like watching it now, it's just like boring and like, you don't really care enough about Shelby to, like, th there's no, like, emotional weight to this song. The lyrics have nothing to do with the situation that they're in right now. It would have been way cooler for them to do Funny Girl now in the episode. Agree! You know what? Actually, that's what they should have done, because it would have been really cool to see Shelby early on in the episode be like, hey, Vocal Adrenaline, here's how you do a Lady Gaga song in a theatrical way, and just made this her solo earlier in the episode, and they could have done Funny Girl now, and it would have been much more thematic. They have the type of voices that would be perfect for, like, literally just the confrontation from Les <laughs> They could have done that for this scene, too. So then we do a very abbreviated scene about Tina confronting Principal Figgins at night at the school and saying that she is actually a vampire and he better let her wear whatever she wants or else her father, the king of the vampires, is going to drink his blood. So that scene happens, she's back in her goth stuff, moving on. Um, like, what's there even to say about that scene? I love it. I love Tina so much. They should have given her more wacky stuff like this, plots-wise. They should have. They should have. you know what? Um... Once again, once again, there is an episode that, like, uh, similar to um, episodes earlier in season one, I can't think of them off the top of my head, where, like, Tina is at the core of a conflict of an episode and yet gets almost nothing to do. Glee doesn't make sense. Classically. 
so then as the last scene in our episode, Kurt gets cornered by the football players and they like shove him back into the corner, the wall or whatever. Um, and they're really going to rough him up this time. And Kurt's just like, you know what? Whatever. I'm not going to stop being me. You can hit me as many times as you want. I'm not going to stop being me. Uh, and Finn goes, wait, stop. And then the camera does a dramatic pan over to him. Iconic. It is like a red latex costume, which they say was made out of a shower curtain. More like multiple what? shower curtains. It has to be at least three. There is so much fabric happening. Like in the like, shoulders alone. It is a full gown, just to be clear. It's humongous shoulder I think pads. he's also wearing platforms. Yeah. And Cory Monteith is tall. So Cory Monteith in platforms is... It's very iconic. We're um, not going to wonder how Finn made this costume. Because they don't explain it. We're not going to wonder when Finn made this costume. We're just going to watch the scene. We're going to be happy that, you know, like, everyone comes together to, you know, support Kurt. Yes. Finn is like, hey, you guys stop it. I'm not going to let you lay a finger on him. And the Karofsky and Azimio are like, oh, yeah, well, we can take you. And then the entire Glee Club comes up behind Finn and they're like, well, you can't take all of us because there's like 12 of them, obviously. Um, and so they're like all standing up to uh, Karofsky and Azimio uh, in their wacky costumes because the boys are all dressed like Kiss and the girls are all dressed like Lady Gaga. And uh, they they scare scare the two off. They're kind of trying to act cocky, but I think they're intimidated. They're intimidated a little bit. A little bit. Uh, and Will comes up and he's like, yeah, you guys do look a little insane. Uh, and I'm glad that you learned the lesson. I just wish I knew what it was so I could have assigned it. Yeah. Will wasn't involved in the lesson of this episode because he didn't need to be involved in the lesson of this episode. The lesson of this episode. Yeah. It's... It's an interesting moment where, like, sometimes Glee, I'm I'm currently in my, like, Glee rewatch, not for this podcast specifically. I'm actually on the Blame It on the Alcohol episode. There are times when Glee can get very, like, end of uh, back to school PSA, you know, like, don't do drugs, don't drink alcohol. I think if this episode had worse writing, it would get very dangerously close to that kind of weirdly cheesy hey don't be homophobic yeah don't be a homophobe kids but because the writing in this episode is so good it it carries more weight to it except you know the non-rachel and shelby scenes carry more weight to them glee club comes together it's lovely it's very nice and so the next episode it is fun you know right i don't remember what happens in that episode but we'll see loki i I am expecting to like funk more than I remember it because I've been listening to the song Give Up the Funk a lot. But best song this episode, personally, I think it is Shout It Out Loud or Bad Romance. It's a tie. I gotta, I gotta go with Bad Romance. It's a tie I gotta go with me. Bad Romance. But yeah, Bad Romance is excellent. I think if I like super duper had to choose, I would probably, no, you know what? It's, it's Bad Romance. I can't lie. It's about romance. Yeah. Uh, worst song this episode is, uh, I'm going to say Poker Face. Agreed, Poker Face. Um, yeah. I think, yeah. It, it kind of had potential, just like Funny Girl had potential. But yeah, Poker Face, is, it's, it didn't age well. It did not age well. Um, so yeah. now for our final segment, 
And here's what you didn't miss on Glee, where we pick songs and discuss how we think Glee would have done them had they been in existence back then. I'm going to say it, and I'm going to say it, and I know exactly what it is. I'm going to hate it. Versace on the Floor by Bruno Mars. They would make this a Will Schuster song. Versace on the And they would try to like convince us that he was sexy and cool and so suave. I want to say it would have been like seasons four or five when they're in New York and he would like visit them in New York for an episode. And, they and be like, do- hey, look, your teacher knows how to cut loose and be cool and like yeah. takes them to a strip club or something. I don't know. I'm I, over I, it. It would have been a Will Schuster song and I hate myself for knowing that. Your turn. I'm just a kid from by simple plan. When you're spending every day on your own, and here it goes. I'm just a kid, and a life is a nightmare. I feel like so the next episode is funk, uh, and they do loser. I feel like uh, I'm just a kid would have also worked. Yeah, honestly, I like really, literally just right there. I really don't like the Glee cover of Loser at all. I don't <laughs> like the song Loser at all. You're absolutely correct. They should have just done I'm just a kid by simple plan. Be emo and feel emo, you know? That's fair. It's a good song. Good song. And also, it just, it hits right because it's, I love how it's so very, like, you're, you can tell the singer is, like, too old to be singing this. It's like, you're a grown adult, man. You need, you need to not be whining about how life is a nightmare. And yet, it still slaps. It still slaps. So, yes, we will rejoin everyone with funk and we'll get a a few more covers some fun stuff and a continuation of the jesse plot line that was weirdly paused for this episode That is our show thank you so much for listening you can follow us on twitter tumblr and instagram at sensations pod and feel free to leave us a review wherever that is possible spotify doesn't let you leave reviews because they're a narc actually that would be the opposite of being a narc i guess apple's the narc be a narc in this instance be a narc